Hi, this is Gina Matthew, the founder of KoturaRani.com, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Chasers, this is Amy J, and you are listening to Chasing Dreams, episode number 93. That's right, folks. We are on the countdown to 100. So 93, seven episodes to go. So exciting. So many cool people coming to the show for that, including today's guest, who I am probably biased about, but I think she's one amazing person. She's doing some amazing things, and that's really the only bio I have for her. (laughs) because she is in the studio today in my living room and we are having this conversation. The second person to do an in-person interview with me and her name is Gina Matthew. Hi, Gina. How's it going? Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. I am super excited to talk to you. So Gina's family, I'm going to get that out there. I am biased, but she is doing some amazing things. And, you know, we, we go back for many years. Now that's, Technically, I could say that, but I have a large family, as many people know, and I haven't always seen everybody. But Gina and I, we grew up together, right? And, yep. And as we were growing up, we went to the same college, UMBC. Yes. Retrievers for Life. And in college, what was your major? I majored in political science and journalism. Political science and journalism. Now, is that one of those typical degrees that you would find for a South Asian? Probably not, because... Pretty much everyone I went to school with was either doing information systems, if you were a guy, or engineering. And then most of my friends who were female were in um, pharmacy or pre-med, definitely in the sciences. And if we take a poll of our family, and we love our family, this is not a reflection of anything, we're just taking a consensus here. How many people are doing something in arts or creative field? Well, growing up, it was pretty much just my brother and me. So, my, yeah. so Jimmy and I were the Give only ones. Give your dad credit. Three. And my dad. And I think because of him, we had a lot of um, support and encouragement to try other paths besides science or engineering, engineering. Or, or, or law or, or something. Or law. Right? Um, but my mom still definitely had that that idea in her mind that maybe I would be the one that would pursue medicine because I did well in science in school, um, sucked at math, but <laughs> did really well in science. So she thought that that would be my path. And I knew from a very, very early age that I did not want to do that, that I didn't really have a clearly defined idea of what that was going to be, but I loved to write. And I was really interested in in television news. That was sort of my introduction to like the non-typical path in journalism was really the way that I that I thought about pursuing that. But you're growing up and surrounded by people in engineering, law, doctors, nurses, you know, that science profession. So there's there's a little bit of pressure, right? To kind of 
go that direction? Did you go into UMBC undecided or did you go in with your degree that you graduated with? Or did you get pressure to be like, hey, go science and then, you know, somehow change your mind? The pressure was there definitely to think about a career in um, in science, specifically in medicine. But the thing is, I grew up watching my dad doing something he loved versus having a job that was just a job. And I think a lot of my friends and, you know, even our cousins grew up seeing their parents going to a job that that they needed to have, that mm-hmm. was a job that, you know, that paid the bills. So for me growing up, I always thought of my career as something that um, played to my strengths and to my talents and was something that I would love to do because that's what I saw my dad do. And But I, I did see the flip side of it, of of having a career that was about stability and um, job security, job security. Absolutely. But in my heart, I just knew like I, I saw my dad so passionately doing what he loved and doing something that was just out of the norm. So I think for my brother and I, we both knew that that was something that we wanted for our own lives. Well, for you in particular. So Gina's dad is an artist, I think. is uh, Yes. A safe description, right? Yeah. So he started out as an art director working for um, a really cool advertising agency in India, one of the top agencies there. So it was the um, it was the offshoot of Sachi and Sachi in America, and it was their version of it. So they're the Indian affiliate of that agency. So he had some amazing clients. And I remember going on shoots with him and seeing that and seeing this, you know, commercial come to life. So I always knew, again, that doing something like that, there's a different energy when you're doing something that you love um, and it doesn't seem like work. So you went into college doing what you wanted to do, right? So you went in as journalism? I came in as undecided. Uh, um, I came in as undecided. Did you? I did. Why? Well, because I think I was having that conversation at home of like, yeah, maybe I'll take a few science classes and see where this goes because I kind of didn't want to necessarily say no to that without really knowing what that entailed. I mean, I think after taking a few biology classes, I was like, this probably isn't my path. But you gave it a shot, right? So it's not like you have no idea what's on the other side. You tried it for a little bit. I don't think I formally declared a major until my sophomore year. So I kind of came in thinking, I'll see. I'll explore and see what's out there. But I think that's a great way to do it. I mean, oftentimes we think, hey, you're going to college. What are you going as? There's so much pressure to make that decision. And as many have said or are aware, I changed my major a few times. And I I think I, it's not that I regret having gone through what I did, because I think everything happens for whatever reason. I learned things because of it. But I think there's a pressure unnecessarily on people to declare that major in freshman year when you're what 18 17 18 and you have no idea I have no idea like how do you have the experience to say yeah this is what I want well what I realized as I decided that journalism was the path that I was going to go on is that it didn't really matter what your major was for that for that industry it really mattered the internships that you did and the practical experience that you had um, because that was what was going to tell you if that was the right path for you or not. So starting my sophomore year, I was already doing like internships at a magazine. I was going and doing internships at the news stations. So in retrospect, if I had to pick a major, I definitely, it would have been journalism because you get the writing experience, but I would have done like American studies or something else other than political science. Political science just seemed like the safe 
other major to choose. Mm -hmm. But I loved my American studies classes. I learned so much. I mean, that expanded my mind much more than any political science class I took, even though there were some that were informative. But I would have picked a major that I loved and then had that journalism there to support the work that I actually wanted to be doing. So, but you came out with a degree. Mm -hmm. Did you come out with a job? Or are you the stereotype of, I'm doing what I love and I got to figure it out? Yeah, it was still, it was still, you know, I had to figure it out because just because I had those internships didn't necessarily mean that I would um, have a job. And I have to say, when I graduated, I didn't 100% know that I wanted to work in television news because I had so many different interests. And I think that was, that's always been a challenge for me, um, that there were many things that I was really interested in and I wanted to be able to pursue all of it. So I had a really great teacher who said, you know, you're, you're a really good writer, um, you're great at expressing ideas, et cetera. You're creative. Why don't you think about doing PR? Because that touches on a lot of different things if you're not sure that working in news is is exactly what you want to do. Um, and so that's what I did. And I worked, my first job was actually working for a PR firm in Baltimore. And then I went to New York to work in fashion PR, which was, again, like the fashion industry was something that I was really interested in. Never really thought of it as like a viable career. Mm-hmm. But when this opportunity to work for these amazing clients for a really great PR firm in New York uh, opened up, I was like, yes, that's what I want to do. Now, was that a job or another internship? It was a job. Okay, so you had this job. Mm-hmm. And what was that, about 2005? No, it goes back a little farther. It's 2003. Okay. Yeah, so that was when I was in New York. And then you went to D.C.? So as I'm working at this PR firm in New York, I, again, have amazing clients that I'm working for. It's it's pretty much a dream job from on paper, right? Like it's amazing clients. Sure. I'm working in New York. Black and white. I'm 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 doing exactly what I thought I wanted to be doing, but I felt pretty unfulfilled in what in way? the work. In just what you were doing? Yeah, it just it felt a little meaningless to me. Um and I think that kind of comes with the nature of the industry and and also, I was really young. I mean, I was 23 years old. I was pretty unsure about what it was that I really wanted from my life and my career. And I thought I needed to have this like epiphany of this is it. You found your calling. And I was looking for that. And so I get this job, which to me looked like the dream job. And I'm not 100% loving it. Um, and th- part of that was just inexperience. And part of that was wanting like everything right away. Um, but I knew in my heart, like I was like, something about this just doesn't feel right. Working in TV news was something that felt right to me. So you've gone from something that was right to something <clears throat> that you hoped would be right, but wasn't. And yeah. So then what? It was, again, like for me, part of that was really going after the things that that I felt really interested me. And I, and I know that a lot of people um, don't want to take that risk because – it's, it's not it's, safe. It's hard. It's hard to kind of be like, well, I like this. Let me try that. And I like this. And I feel like if you're going to do that, to do that in your 20s is probably the best time to do it. And I don't regret it at all because I felt like I pursued everything I possibly wanted to do. Um, so when I was in New York, I started looking at jobs, working in television, and I ended up getting a job working for the NBC affiliate in D.C. And again, it was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. It was probably like the best time of my life living in D.C. and working and, and working there for, for two years. And so you're, you're, you've enjoyed each experience you've had. You've done different experiences. Mm-hmm. Currently, though, you're not in D.C. 
I'm not in DC. I'm in Baltimore. You're in Baltimore. Great, great city, by the way, guys. It's a fantastic city. But in between that, what happened? How did you get to Baltimore? Okay, so I'm working in DC. I'm working in news, again, surrounded by amazing people doing fantastic work. And again, I'm feeling this like gnawing inside me of there's something more that you need to be doing. And I didn't really quite know what that was. And I was looking at my path ahead of me in in television news. And I was like, do I want to be a writer? Do I want to be a show producer? What is it that I want to do? And none of those things seemed like the place that I wanted to be for the next five to 10 years. And then I thought, okay, you know what? I want to do something that feels more creative. And that's down a line of maybe more entertainment content. And right around that time is when um, an opportunity opened up for at a newly launched network called RLTV. And that was in Columbia, Maryland. And uh, worked on a couple shows that were launching through that network. So I worked at RLTV and then RLTV just kind of didn't have the momentum to keep going. And when my time at RLTV wrapped, I ended up working in production again, but working for a, a company in Baltimore. While I'm working at this company in Baltimore, I was like, you know what? I think what's really going to make me happy is doing something for myself. I've gained enough work experience. I kind of know a lot about what I want to do. It's just finding the ideal opportunity. And that opportunity presented itself in the form of, again, coming back to to fashion. So during that time, the fashion industry in India was blowing up. And I remember, and this goes back to my time in New York working in fashion PR, one of our uh, clients brought out this beautiful beaded skirt and showed it to me and just said, you know, this is um, this is one of our, our, I guess, our vendors or one of our clients here in New York does it. And I was like, wow, that looks, that almost looks like Indian beading. And she goes, yes, it's actually done by this woman who pretty much every designer works with her. So Carolina Herrera, Oscar de la Renta, Calvin Klein, you name it. If they want beading or any kind of work done, they're sending it through this woman in New York who's then working with artisans in India to to bead this outfit. And I kept thinking, and this was, you know, 2003. And I was like, I I didn't realize designers in India did such amazing work. I was like, it would be so cool if their work was actually recognized rather than they being the person that's behind the scenes and it's Oscar de la Renta or whoever that's kind of in a way getting credit for that work, right? So these designers were behind the scenes. So fast forward to now it's 2008. And I'm seeing that Indian designers are actually getting acknowledged for their work. There are a couple of young Indian American designers in New York um, who are using some of that Indian influence in their work. But specifically, the Indian fashion industry in India was getting a lot of attention. And the biggest thing that happened was Vogue magazine decided to launch an Indian edition, which was a huge deal. It kind of meant like Indian fashion had sort of arrived and was being recognized globally and that advertisers were interested in placing their ads within the Indian marketplace. So I was like, all right, great. So Indian fashion is getting prominence. But again, if I'm living in Chicago and I want access to these beautiful clothes, how am I going to do that? I would have to fly to India, which is what most people have done, especially to shop for Indian weddings. And then that idea came to me of why not start a platform, an online platform, an e-commerce shop to connect global consumers with these designers in India. And that's sort of 
the first idea and business that I launched, which I called Couture Rani. Now, before that, though, you were blogging. Yes. So I wanted to get a better understanding of what was happening in the Indian fashion industry. And I wanted to like educate people so that if the opportunity came to launch an e-commerce site, Mm -hmm. people would kind of understand exactly what the industry was about, who the designers were, um, what their work was about. And during this time, um, in 2006, I actually went to the University of Baltimore to get a master's in graphic design and writing. And again, with the intention of that's something that I'm interested in, I knew that I wanted to do something on my own and I wanted to have the skills to kind of back that up. So right before I graduated, one of the courses that I had to take was an HTML course and we needed to design our own website. And at this time, like the ideas for Couture Rani were already percolating in my mind. I had the name, I had like images that I had been saving up and I created this website, like a mock website that was a retail shop and we presented it to our class. And I remember pretty much every single person, not to mention I had no one of Indian descent in this class. So they were just looking at beautiful clothes on a model. Pretty much every single person said, is that a real shop? Does it exist? These, those clothes are beautiful. Like if I wanted to buy it, could I? And I was just thinking, huh? Okay. So this resonates beyond, like, it wasn't just a me thing. This was resonating beyond what I would even consider like the typical Indian audience. And it was kind of that that made me think, all right, you know what? I think this is the way to go. And, um, but the blog was there as a way for me to, to write about the industry and then to gauge some kind of interest. And there were definitely comments as I was writing with people saying, where could I purchase X item? It would be something that would feature from a fashion show. And you were doing, I mean, because when you were blogging, because you were blogging for a pretty good while before the e-commerce came up. And I remember you would put this very well put together journalistic quality articles together with interviews with people, whether it was commentary or just, uh, you know, you ran the gamut of things that you were talking about on the blog of Katurani.com. And it might have been Katurani.com or Katurani.blogspot.com. I, I don't remember back then because that was yep, the first it started instance. on Blogspot, and right? then um, yeah. and then I moved it over to to WordPress and under Katorani.com. Yeah, and I just remember it would catch our eye, and when shared on social media at the time, you know, people would be like, "Well, this is interesting. We ha- we don't see a lot of articles on India's fashion industry." And I know, like some of my other cousins, uh, ones that you know were interested but had no idea about what was in the behind the scenes, because these are things that aren't told. These are things that were never heard about, right? Because, I mean, when you said the Vogue came out with the India version, essentially, you know, for years, it hadn't been that case. You were filling that missing link for people. And you seem passionate about it in your writing. I mean, is that fair to say? Absolutely. And um, because there were two versions of what Indian fashion looked like, for most Indians living in America, Indian fashion was wedding clothes. And it was the stuff that your aunties brought back, you know, for you from India, your mom would go pick up or you would go and find wherever you were shopping. And then to the Western world, Indian fashion was the things that you would be buying at like H&M or Forever 21, you know, those those, uh, textiles. And, And India was really well known for that. So there were sort of like the 
the high street fashion, um, some of which would be made in India. So that was kind of the idea of what Indian fashion was about. But generally speaking, to most people, Indian fashion was like wedding clothes. And because I knew the industry, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so much more than that. And they're not just making Mm -hmm. saris and langas and things to wear to a wedding, even though that is probably the biggest thing it's known for. Yeah, the the biggest piece of their business is wedding clothes, just because that's where people spend their money. But Indian designers were doing so much more. And it was perfect because, like I said, right around that time in America, you had designers like Prabhu Garang and Bibhu Mohapatra and a bunch of other up-and-coming designers who were being celebrated for their talent. Um, but these were Indian-American designers who were using some of like their Indian techniques and aesthetic with on like Western silhouettes. And the pieces were just amazing. So uh, it just felt like the right time to kind of highlight what was happening within Indian fashion. And so you go from blog blogger mm-hmm. to e-commerce. Yes. Right? And, you know, you, you worked really hard for e-commerce, mm-hmm. but when you were blogging, you had a day job, right? Yes. And when you were doing the e-commerce, were you doing that full-time or were you working as well? Well, I, so when I launched the e-commerce site, that was 2011, I had, I left my job full-time, but I was still working as a freelancer. So I worked as a freelancer until 2013. Mm-hmm. So that was just ways away for me to to keep supporting myself. But I would say uh, 90% of, of my time was devoted to working on the site. And so you do the site, it launches, and it's actually live, and people are actually placing orders, mm-hmm. and you're actually working on it, Yeah. right? And that's your full-time job, mm-hmm. right? Were, were you happy? I was I was I everything you wanted to be. <laughs> I was very very proud of the launch and it wasn't actually in retrospect that I kind of like realized what I had done because it was pretty much just me. And I didn't understand sort of the enormity of it until competitors sort of opened up in that came up in that same space and they were super well funded. I mean there were two uh, e-commerce sites that launched right around the time that I did. One had been funded for 10 million and another for 2 million before they ever sold a single piece of clothing. And I had essentially um, self-funded and I was self-funding for the full run of the business. So I kind of just in my own naiveness, which I needed to launch the business, didn't understand what it took to launch and run something, especially on an international scale. And I'm dealing with clients who are in Australia, who are in Canada, who are in Singapore. America as well, and just how challenging that was. So at some point, I realized I can't do this by myself, and I had to think about, well, what does it mean then for me to make this business successful? I had to bring on investors. I had to grow my team, and I essentially felt like the most important piece of that was moving to India and being where my designers were because I had to see those pieces firsthand. I mean, I remember someone buying a Langa for over $10,000, and it was Dang. a beautiful piece. Yes. $10,000. 10 grand for her wedding. So imagine someone spending that kind of money and you know that you're not going to see it until they receive it. Like you don't have a way to do a quality check on it. You don't have a way to make sure that it's absolutely perfect. You're trusting the designer. And the level of anxiety that I had with every single order that went out to make sure that it was perfect and you're micro, micro, micromanaging that process Again, I knew that for that reason I had to be in India, but at the same time, I kind of felt, you know what, is this really it? Is this what I want to do? And right 
at, as I was running the e-commerce business, I was also maintaining the blog, the editorial part of the site. And that was really what was like exciting, getting me super excited, like telling the stories about the designers, the behind the scenes, the inspiration behind the collection. Those are the things that I absolutely loved. And honestly, to me, it wasn't marketing that $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 Langa, because there were some pieces that were that as well. And so I thought, you know what? I'm not ready to make that leap to move to India. Maybe what we I need to do. We're grateful for that. <laughs> um, I don't think it would have been the right decision for me. And, you know, it, I, I wasn't ready for that. And, and I had to be honest with myself about it. Um, but I very, very, very strongly considered doing it. Well, it, you know, in that time, having been on an outside perspective, not having been, you know, I wasn't doing the work, but I saw you doing the work and I could tell, you know, you, you, you brightened up when you talked about writing an article and you seemed to go down in excitement when it was, I got to get, I got to talk to the designer. I got to be that in between. And there's this work to do. And, you know, you weren't as excited about it. It was a lot of frustration. It was a lot of frustration because I didn't feel like the designers had the infrastructure in place to to manage what it is that I wanted to do. These custom one-off pieces that were we, that we were designing for clients. It's not that they couldn't do that because that was that was their business, that was their livelihood. They did that all day every day. Um, but it was managing that relationship between me, the client, and the designer, and making sure that production was happening happening as seamlessly as possible. And I just couldn't guarantee that for my client. And there were so many challenges that came up in that process that I was like, this is this is not sustainable for me to do it as my by myself. Um, and so then I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to wind down the e-commerce and then I'm going to just focus on the blog. But at that point, I had been doing it for five years. So the, the, the site had been up and running with everything for, for five years. It was three years where the site was live and then two years where I'd pretty much spent building up the business. Um, and I was writing content, but again, just feeling completely, completely burned out and uninspired and really not knowing where that next step was going to be with the brand. And you shut it down, right? And you kind of walked away a little bit. Is it fair to say you walked away a little bit from Katurani at the time to just kind of figure things out? Yeah. So when I shut down the e-commerce site, I was like, okay, I'm broke. Uh, I've that been, happens when you chase dreams sometimes. <laughs> I was like, I've invested pretty much every dime into my business. I had to live off of my savings. At this point, I needed a real job and I needed stability and I needed to step away. Um, I needed to like interact with coworkers and people. And so I said, you know what? I need to step away from this. I need to get a job. I need to kind of really like recalibrate and figure out, is this something that I really wanted to do? And um, I was incredibly fortunate to get this pretty amazing job in line with what I wanted to do. It was, it kind of tapped everything that I had done. It was, it was production. It was um, design and business development. So my role kind of is wrapping up with, you know, all of those elements. And I had the stability that I wanted and I had the, the financial cushion that I needed. And at that time, you know, I was like, this is good. This is this this nine to five life is is actually not bad. The, the thing that I'd been running away from, 
of of having something so regimented in my life is actually something that's bringing me a lot of satisfaction. But there's always a but. <laughs> I was like, as much as I was loving that and and uh, and needed that, there was just this feeling of you know I'm not done with Couture Rani. Like I knew it. I thought about it every single day. I thought about what I wanted to be doing with it. There were stories that would come up that I would be like, oh, I, I, I should be writing about that. Um, but I knew that I needed to get to a place sort of like mentally, emotionally, and then even financially where I could kind of relaunch um, and just really think about it from a, you know, having had some distance from it of how I wanted to be able to to redo it. So you didn't give up on it, but you knew that you needed a timeout. Is that? Oh, or- Yeah. I definitely needed to step away. I definitely needed to step away. And I knew, actually, I I shouldn't say I knew. I wasn't sure if I was going to come back to it or not. Because like I said, I stepped into a job that uh, was actually very satisfying. And I didn't know if if I had it in me to launch something again. Because you're, it takes so much out of you to be able to do it. Um, and I'm like, yeah, now I have this full-time job that's pretty demanding. Am I going to be able to sustain another startup? Do I have the energy for it? Do I have the commitment to be able to do it? And then at some point I was like, you know what? I know I do. I know I do. I can't let this die because it's something that means so much to me. And even if I'm just doing it on the side as a hobby where I'm just writing about things that I that I enjoy, I want to do it. So – now, that kind of brings us to today, right? Mm-hmm. You still have your day job that you enjoy, you're passionate about also, right? It's brought you some kind of fulfillment in some way, shape, or form. Yes. And now, one of the reasons we were actually together is mm-hmm. we were talking about Torani.com. And rumor is, you're thinking about a relaunch. Yeah, so it was. it's interesting. Right around the time that I was thinking about Okay, I want to I want to do this, but I kind of need to know. Like I need to like know deep in my soul that this is the right thing to do cuz I just know what it takes to be able to to do it and to do it well. And I was almost like waiting for like a sign of let me know if this is what I need to be doing when you called me. And I I don't remember how that that conversation evolved to let's collaborate and think about how we want to move forward with our respective projects. You were telling me about everything that you were doing with Chasing Dreams. And I started talking to you about, you know, I want to be able to move forward with Couture Rani, but I'm not really sure. And you kind of just jumped right in and said, hey, you know what? We're going to ha- we're there, there's a plan for this. And, <laughs> and here's how we're going to do it. And those conversations became weekly conversations that we were having. And I think, as you know, I had to work through a lot of stuff before I felt comfortable saying, yes, I want to do this. Yeah, you know what? I actually, it was February 2017. Yes. yes. And I was like, hey, do you want to be an accountability partner of sorts as a family member? Because I knew that you had been talking about coming back and you weren't sure. And we actually now have weekly calls on the dime. And my our, my parents are like, I heard you talk to Gina. I'm like, yes, we talk every week now, guys. <laughs> That's what we do. So those weekly calls end up being, okay, so what are you thinking? Where's your mind at? And we've gone back and forth. And actually this weekend and this time of the recording, we took a weekend because we both were kind of in the same boat where 
We love what we're doing on our day job. It's nothing like that. But our day job was taking up so much time. We didn't have time to work on these other things that we are passionate about. And we decided, well, that's enough of that. We took a weekend and we took Saturday all day for ourselves, Sunday all day for ourselves. And we kind of pulled ourselves into my apartment and we just kind of bought food. We, 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 did, we didn't starve. We bought food mm-hmm. and we just kind of hashed out things, right? And what do you think about that? Yeah, I think for us, we kind of said, okay, this is it. Like enough talk. This is, it's time for, for action and, and making that commitment to yourself of, of what is the plan? How are you going to do it? And getting clarity about what it is that you wanted to do. Because it's, it's great to have an idea. It's great to think about it. It's great to say, okay, here are some goals that I have and here's how I'm going to do it. But without kind of whittling away and thinking about it and, and having clarity around it, it's very, very hard to then execute. Because what are you executing against? Yeah, and that was one thing that over the weekend, as we're hashing things out and going back and forth and back and forth, you know, it was interesting because I could see what you wanted to do better than you could. Mm -hmm. And you could see what I wanted to do better than I could. And I, that's a huge takeaway for me in the sense of I was too close to it. Absolutely. Yeah. And you were too close to yours and you were focusing on certain things that I was like, all right, but I need you to step back and look at X, Y, and Z and not just ABC. And you did the same thing for me. Exactly. And I think, you know, it depends like a lot on how your personality type is as as well. Like for me, everything is very intuitive. It has to feel a certain way. And so I let my, my emotion or my, my feeling about something be my guide, which is fine, which is, which is great, but you need to have some, some tactics and, and actual plans towards what you're trying to do. And that can be really scary for someone who's like, you know what, I have this, I have this grand vision and I'm just going to like make that vision happen. Uh, you need to have steps and mm-hmm. actions and things that you're going to do. And I think that's what you and I were able to to accomplish this weekend of taking our broad vision and and bringing that down to actionable steps that we can take where it just made it very, very clear. And it made it very real. So it went from an idea that you're talking about or dreaming about to something that's very tangible and very, very real. And it's exciting because at the same time, right, you see progress. I mean, that was the thing. I mean, we spoke how long yesterday? Probably from, I think it was like three o'clock to midnight, Mm -hmm. going back and forth, trying to define things. And we were so excited to jump into the how that it took each of us saying, okay, hold up, bring it back though. What about the why? Right. And and so many smart people, smarter than us have, have said, you know, you got to start with the why. You got to understand what is it you're trying to do? Who is it you're trying to help? What is the purpose? Because otherwise, and we've talked about this yesterday, everything we're doing is great. Everything we've done in the past has been great. We're very proud of the work. I'm proud of the podcast. You're proud of the blog. But there was no alignment amongst everything we want to do. So everything seemed kind of haphazard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot more coming for Amy J. Uh, and there's a lot more coming for Katura Rani, which you will find out soon. But, you know, it helped to kind of hash it out, if you will, kind of put it all together in something that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, we talk about kind of having a, 
a plan in place and and I don't think you realize until you do it how difficult that is because you're not just thinking about what it is that you want to do. You're thinking about who you want to do it for and why you are doing it for that person because ultimately whether you have a product, whether you have a service, whether you have a blog, you really are doing it for somebody else. And what what is that purpose that you're serving? What is it that you know, what is your reason for doing it? And it depends, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're just starting out or you are five years into your business, you kind of have to keep coming back to that idea. And so a big part of what, you know, we needed to figure out for ourselves is, okay, great, we have this idea, we know what we want to do, but but why are we really doing it? And who are we doing it for? And what's the value that we are creating by doing it? So now that you got some clarity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, are you going to quit your day job? I don't think so. Uh, you know, it's going to it's gonna take some time before I think I feel comfortable saying, okay, you know what, this is it for me and this is what I'm going to be doing uh, forever. I think that I'm learning so much. And, and again, like, you know, there's timing and, and how things happen is like, I, I can't say enough about it. Um, that there is a there is a right time and 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 all the things that are happening in your life are happening for a reason. So the job that I have right now working for a media company is teaching me so much about what it means to run a company. Mm-hmm. And because I'm working on the business development side, I'm seeing everything sort of from the inside out. And when I started Couture Rani, I had no clue. Like I literally knew nothing about nothing. Mm-hmm. And or I knew nothing about any of what I was doing. I knew nothing about e-commerce. I knew nothing about the retail industry. I knew nothing about business in India. And there was no how-to dummies guide to figure it out. There wasn't. Right? I was figuring it out as I was going along, but the but the the level of <laughs> not knowing was incredible. And I would not recommend anyone jump into um, a business that they don't know anything about because your chances of success are very very slim. There are people who have done it. You know, there, there, there are so many examples of businesses that people will start because they see an opportunity and, and don't really know much about the industry, but like we'll get into it and do it. But generally speaking, people who start successful companies have some understanding of that industry or they're bringing with them knowledge and understanding to be able to be successful in that, in that business. Or some ba- business knowledge. Business or knowledge, yes. A mentor or something. Yes. Right. For me, what I knew that I had was vision. I knew that I could imagine something and I could bring it to life. Like I knew I was able to do it, but that's only one part of it. Like to sustain that, you need to get to the nuts and bolts of everything. Mm-hmm. And you have to be just as passionate about those unglamorous details of your business as you are about the beautiful vision that you're creating, the images, all of that stuff. So coming back to your question, I think that – I would need to feel ready to say, you know what, I think I've learned enough or I know enough or I feel confident enough to take this on full time. I think it's, to me, it's at its infancy and I really want to be able to do it right and build it and build it on a solid foundation and not say, you know what, I think I'm ready to kind of make this my full time thing. Well, it's interesting because you've had the ups and downs of Katurani, right? Mm-hmm. Blog, e-commerce. Took a small break to kind of reevaluate things. You're about to relaunch uh, probably before the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you have learned something and you're doing your best not to repeat the mistakes from the past. Is that something that you think you're conscious of? 
Absolutely. I think I was pretty hard on myself when um, I had to shut down the business and I was like, oh my gosh, I, did, I didn't I did do this right and I didn't do that right. But really making those mistakes is the only way to learn because there's absolutely no way for you to to not know what you don't know. And I, you know, I reflect on my successes now more than on the things that I didn't do right. But going forward, I would say that you have to absolutely educate yourself on the industry that you want to work in. You have to fully know what it means to run that business. Um, if you're inspired by what somebody else has done, just know the the intense level of work and preparation and uh, dedication that went into making that business a success. So for me, it's it's really about finding people who can support what I'm doing because it's really difficult to kind of really do anything on your own. And I think I, I understand the value of finding mentors and, and finding like-minded people who can support you and support what you're doing. Doing it alone is not something that I would ever want to do again. Well, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit real quick. Mm -hmm. When you ended Katurani, you were hard on yourself. It was almost as though you saw it as a failure. You, you made your, your effort, you took a stab at it, and it went nowhere. In your mind, mm -hmm. I mean, people did buy products, so people did get something out of it. But it, from when we had conversations, it was almost like you were so disappointed that that was it. There was no moving forward. That that avenue was kind of shut down. There's no going back to it. But I'm not sure if that was necessarily fair because I also thought at the time when you were doing e-commerce, and maybe I should have spoken up more, that it didn't seem to fit you as well as the blog did. And absolutely, you know, and is it, say, is it fair to say that you were hard on yourself? I was incredibly hard on myself because I didn't think about what I had accomplished. And, you know, for anyone that's that started their own business, um, it's, it's doubly hard when it's an international business and you really have no business knowledge background at all. You were getting help, though. You did you did get reach out to people in the uh, University of Maryland Yes, 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 center yes. and stuff. So it wasn't that you were, you know, jumping in without a paddle. You had a paddle. It was just very slow strokes. It was, and and you know, uh, the Indian fashion industry, where there, I, the 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 advice that I would get would were definitely things that would serve all businesses well, right? But there were specific things to to Indian fashion and how they do business and just e commerce in general. Because believe it or not, in two thousand eight, e commerce wasn't what it is now at all. So it was still pretty fledgling for a lot of brands. There were a lot of luxury brands that were not interested in e-commerce because they felt that that would dilute their brand. Indian designers were almost universally against it because they thought that by putting their pieces online, they were opening themselves up to um, to counterfeiters. I mean, that's, that's actually a huge thing. Cause and copyright, yeah. Going past uh, this past year to India, you know, for my younger sister's wedding and buying outfits and things like that, you know, the designers there were like, no pictures. You Everywhere you yeah. look, it was no pictures allowed. Please don't take any pictures. And it's because of that, they said. Yes. And I really had to educate the designers there. And the ones that came on board were the ones that um, really believed in what I was trying to do and understood the value of what e-commerce was. And ironically, every single designer that was like, there is no way I'm going to sell my pieces online now are selling online. And I knew that would happen. So it wasn't like I 
you know, I didn't waste a lot of time trying to get those designers to understand what, what the future was going to be like, because I knew that they would have to come around eventually if they wanted to stay in business, if they mm-hmm. wanted to succeed and, and be competitive. But yeah, it wasn't in in retrospect until that I kind of re- realized like what it was that I had done and, and that I needed to be really proud of that. And that if I could do that, if I could accomplish that on the limited knowledge, resources and abilities that I had at that time, then then really nothing is impossible. You know, it was just a matter of me believing in myself and knowing that if there is something that I want to do, I can absolutely do it. What was the time between shutting down and our conversation in February? So the the site officially shut down in 2014. So I would say like January or February 2014 is when I officially said I'm done with the e-commerce part of it. So that's that's kind of about two years. Mm-hmm. That's two years of... I was still maintaining the blog, but just as kind of like a, a side thing, right? Like yeah, just you, went, as a you way. had gone back and reverted to hobby blogging. Yes. Which again, nothing wrong with that. We still enjoyed the articles you shared and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. But it felt like there was more you wanted to do with it and just hadn't allowed yourself. And that's the thing I want to kind of touch on. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you were so hard on yourself for not doing well in the e-commerce that it was almost like a punishment for you to not try again for years. Yeah. But it felt like you always ha- you had more in you for it. I did and I and I believed in in what the the editorial side of the business could become, but I was like emotionally spent, I was mentally spent, mm-hmm. I was financially drained and during that time, so 2014 is when I went back and I started freelance producing again and was trying to figure out well what do I want to do mm-hmm. you know what's my job now going to be because at that time like I'm like I need I need to be able to take care of myself and and I needed and I needed income so my focus really became getting a job it wasn't necessarily about Katorani because that was that had also you know that that was kind of secondary at the time but it was never far from my mind of what can I do with this but I kind of felt like I had to like step back into reality for a moment and start working again before I could think about, well, what's the next iteration of this going to, of this going to be. And like I said, I needed to have that emotion, not emotion. Well, yeah, I had to have like the emotional you reserve. You had to be ready for it to try again. I needed, I needed to be ready again to be able to do it because like I said, I knew what it took. And so I didn't feel ready. I didn't feel ready to kind of go down that path again of, of starting essentially a new business and everything that that would take. And while we had the conversation in February 2017, Mm -hmm. we had multiple conversations, you and I, uh, my sister Jamie and you, uh, about Katurani prior to that, where you could tell you weren't ready, Mm -hmm. but you were also, you were anxious. You were anxious to do it, but it was like you were waiting to give yourself permission. And I feel like in February 2017, you finally gave yourself that permission to consider it again. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I shut down the e-commerce site and I was just, like you said, hobby blogging, I thought that's always going to be. I was like, you know what? This is going to be a portfolio of my work. I'm going to share some cool stories. It's enough. But I'm going to, you know, get back to to reality and and finding some job security for myself and and having like a normal life where it's not about my work 24 seven. And I miss that. Like I, I devoted so much of my time to the business that I, I really had essentially cut off 
a big chunk of my life. Mm-hmm. And and I was like, I need to kind of recharge and get back to being social and, you know, seeing friends again and having a life that I was almost kind of too scared to be like, okay, if I want to relaunch Katorani as anything else, do you really want that? Do you really, do you know what that's about? Right. You know what that life is about? Do you really want that? And I held myself back and I held myself back just because there was that fear of, if I take that leap, I knew that I would have to be 100% committed. Sure. That it couldn't be a f- one foot in, one foot out, step in, step out, as I felt like it, that I would be making a commitment, you know, not just to myself, but to my audience. And, and you wanted to be smart about it. And I, yeah, and I didn't want to, you know, let myself down more than anything. Like, I didn't want to come in and be like, yep, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. And then not be able to follow through. Well, the thing is, even when in February 2017, you allowed yourself to have this, mm-hmm. You're being smart about it, as I was saying. You're, you're taking your time to figure it out, take the steps that you want, and you're juggling a day job and this. Yes. And I think, again, there's nothing wrong with taking time, guys, to recover from something that didn't go the way you thought it was. That's fine, as long as you don't cut off the potential of going back. Yeah, there was, you know, as you know, there was massive self-doubt of, is this, and it wasn't, it wasn't about doubt about my abilities necessarily it was is this what i'm meant to be doing i think there was that part of me that still kind of needed to feel like this is what i am called to do this is something that is much more than just a job or much more than just you know a, a passion that i'm pursuing um because like i said i knew what it what it takes out of you to be able to do it. I really needed to know that once I was in, I was in and that was it. Well, I think the other thing is, is that you're allowing Katorani to be more than what you intended it to be initially. Mm -hmm. Like you always had an underlying purpose for it. And it was in talking about it that you kind of not realized, but acknowledged it. And that's the thing that's exciting. And so that's why I wanted you on the show, especially because your journey is such a a powerful one and one that has been, you've had your ups, you've had your downs mm-hmm. and you've still come out on top, even though you may not think so. And so guys, that's what you should take away from this is, you know, go after your passions, go after your, your heart's content and, you know, whatever happens, deal with it. And right. That's yeah, kind of what you do. You're, you're going to fall again and again and again. And I think that's what, you know, I expected to be, perfect and amazing and successful out the gate like that was all you know everyone's intention of course is to be successful with their endeavors but not being successful is actually maybe a better thing for you because you're reorienting uh your path you're figuring out exactly what the right thing is for you and if if there's something inside of you that's still calling you towards whatever it might be you know it's an opportunity for you to kind of rethink yeah maybe yeah maybe that wasn't the thing for me but something within this is then showing me that here is a better a better way and the other thing too you need to think about like the most successful businesses and we're talking ebay amazon uber airbnb all started out as completely different businesses that went through multiple iterations before they got to the success that that they became so again for me like e-commerce at that time made sense but ultimately, for whatever reason, that wasn't really what the what was right for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that and that's okay. Yeah, you know. And so, 
with all your experience and, and your ups and downs and, and coming out on top and having gone through what you have with KaturaRani.com and what's upcoming for KaturaRani.com, what is one action item that you would recommend a dream chaser take today? If you have something that you want to do, absolutely pursue it. And don't let any setback hold you back because that's part of the journey. So making those mistakes, falling down, doing the wrong thing, whatever it is, that's part of the journey. And Even I, failing? Eve, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for everyone who has like perfectionistic tendencies and, and think that everything that they do has to be perfect and right out of the gate, um, you have to be extremely kind to yourself when you're doing this and and have compassion for yourself because you are doing your best and you have to understand that your journey and everything is happening exactly the way it's meant to happen because you're only going to be as ready as you are in this moment, but that shouldn't stop you. And the more you do and the further you take it, the more refined you're going to be in, in understanding what it is that you want to do the more prepared you're going to be. And if your business idea changes as you're on your path, that's fine. Let that happen. You know, so if you decide like, I'm going to move this in a completely different direction, that's great because that's how a lot of great businesses were made. So definitely take that leap, go for it, do it, and don't be afraid of making mistakes and failing, but, you know, definitely get back up and try again because that next thing that you do could be the thing that, you know, ultimately becomes your life path and, and everything that you want your life to be. Guys, I couldn't have said that better. So go ahead and do that. Absolutely. Gina, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing the story. You guys keep an eye out for Katurani.com because uh, there are some great things coming up for that brand and what, what is coming. So thanks again, Gina. Thank you, Amy. Thanks for having me here and uh, for letting me share my story. And guys, that was Gina Matthew of Couture Rani. And guys, keep an eye out. That is, there's some amazing things coming up for CoutureRani.com and just in general. And I don't want to give it away because it's her story to tell. Just keep an eye out. And to more lessons, to learn more about Gina and CoutureRani.com, please check out the show notes over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com slash episode 93. That's episode 93. And guys, we are continually getting closer to episode 100. There are some amazing guests continuing to pop up. So please continue to check us out. And until next time, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing.